You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and canna-curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, April 14th, 2022. This is episode number 258. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you are listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 29,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. We love our audience. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about the Department of Child Services and a newborn that tested positive for cannabis. An ex-Laker admits that the COVID bubble sometimes was a hot box. The Denver Post educating consumers on new terms. Europeans want legalization. Beeswax tips with flower seeds. Adult use sales in New Mexico are affecting the patient's supply. And many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? Oh, man, so mine's coming out of, uh, he's coming from Paola Sanoco at Clutch Sports. Ex-Laker J.R. Smith drops major truth bomb about players playing high inside the bubble. Is cannabis a performance-enhancing drug or not? The debate rages on after former NBA star J.R. Smith's recent comments. Smith played 15 years pro basketball and shocked the world last year, announcing he'd be going back to college and joining the North Carolina A&T golf team as a freshman because eligibility rules are weird. The athletic renaissance man added another accolade to his long list of achievements while playing, blowing it down in the bubble during Lakers 2020 championship run while the NBA's top teams competed for an abbreviated season locked away from the rest of the world down in Orlando at the height of the pandemic. The two-time NBA champion joined former league greats and cannabis entrepreneurs Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson on their acclaimed All the Smoke podcast for this season's first episode aired on Showtime last week. During the show, Smith 
said many top-tier players chose to kill downtime in between practice games, video games, and FaceTime sessions with friends and fam in the outside world by doing what the rest of the rational world would do, smoking weed. He even went a little further, claiming some athletes even played games high, seemingly confirming what many of us were already thinking. He's quoted on the show saying, we was blowing it down in there. That was the only way you could really function in that joint. It was cool. I'm glad it happened because it finally broke the barrier and the stigma that you couldn't play in all of this. It was a drug. Uh, it was this and that. But when you go to the bubble uh, basketball, some of the dudes was granted. It was like pra- practicing games and some of them really can't play that well in front of 30,000. But at the same time, you saw some of the best level of basketball. Taking the conversation to a more wellness and uh, or performance-focused path, he continued on revealing some players used it as an advantage to achieve the winning mindset and access their full competitive potential. Stop making it seem like it's alcohol or something. You know you ain't out there playing drunk, just getting 60 like that. That shit ain't happening no more. But when you can be at peace with your mind, your body, with your soul, and you can go out there and just hoop, that's all you want. Complexes, Brad Callis pointed out, um, he actually uh, took it a little further, calling Smith a narc for his comments, extending a guilty by association uh, tag on his former Laker teammates while in the bubble, saying it would be it would only be logical to think that he spent most of his time inside there with his teammates. And it isn't hard to believe considering how the NBA decided to suspend its policy on randomly testing players for cannabis during the bubble. The NBA no longer conducts random testing for THC, which I think is how it should be. Uh, However, adult use is still illegal in Florida. So what do y'all think? If you read between the lines of the show transcript, you can probably figure out who he's talking about. Was uh, J.R. Smith out of line for admitting he, along with several others, were smoking in the bubble so close to, uh, to, uh, to when it happened? This is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the streets, reporting live for the State of Cannabis News Hour, And I'm interested in hearing everyone else's take on J.R. Smith clearing the air and possibly airing former teammate Dirty Laundry while telling his own story. What say you, team? He's a snitch. I think more kids are going to smoke now while they're playing basketball. Does it really matter if he's a snitch? I mean, why is this a bad thing to report on how it was because you know, he, beneficial? And he he's, implicating, he's, he's implicating uh, other teammates, some of them prominent names in the league and that are still playing right now, were playing and were on the court high. And it's, a, he said and it's 100% <laughs> snitching because if he, if he mentions the wrong name with the wrong different type of endorsement deal, they could totally lose that endorsement deal and that revenue stream because of this guy's opinion. Yeah, and he had he had no proof. He had no evidence of them doing that with him. So I agree with you, Jace. I think it was a little out of line for him to say what he did. And like I said, if you read the transcript from the show or if you even watch the show, you, you know who the hell he's talking about. I mean, I mean, I was an athlete as well, and and I just know that 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 when when you're with athletes, you and you move it as a team, you have to be trusting everyone. And this this guy just definitely shows the, that he is not a trustworthy teammate. I wonder now that he's playing um, um, golf on a high level. <laughs> Pun there. He's playing golf at North Carolina I, North Carolina A&T. I wonder what his teammates think about that or his, his golf coach thinks about his comments. And if he's on the greens high as fuck, too, playing collegiate sports. I wonder. I think it's... Uh interesting that you know he's publicly suggesting in some ways it's a performance enhancer uh you know with the 
context of what happened to Shikari Richardson, I would hope that other athletes out there are actually um, trying to position that it's not a performance enhancer so that all athletes are able to take it. Jean, and to, to your point, Jean, um, maybe the children will be more inclined to play sports uh, while high. It's far better than playing it playing sports while drunk or on pharmaceutical drugs. I mean, that no judgment. Just uh, they—they they probably will look up to athletes, so they'll do what what Mike does, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, when I was playing football, like I would have never stepped on the field. Uh, high because it does uh, slow everything down and when you're going that fast uh, with 300 pound motherfuckers coming at you full speed um, you can't slip up however when I did play pickup basketball in the summers in between seasons and also later on in my adult life I did play some of the best fucking basketball I've ever played in my life when I was high as fuck before or did you just think you did I know I did I got I got I got film to to back it up because the eye and the lie don't I in the sky don't lie, Jason. It don't. And performance enhancement is a loaded question, too. I mean, water is performance enhancing. Hydration is, helps you play better. I was right? I was just going to say that, Dr. Gene, that water could be considered a performance enhancing drug, and especially Gatorade. Definitely. Gatorade sugar water, man. It's a performance enhancing drug, Rico. Let's call it what it is. It makes you thirstier. Water is better than Gatorade. I used to pedal the shit. Is, is, is Kool-Aid <laughs> with electrolytes and shit. Electrolytes are good. All right. Well, I guess we've reached the end of that conversation. I'm, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because of the snitch, snitchery. Up next is co-producer Jason Beck. His provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting his first store in San Francisco. Rated by the DEA multiple times and su- surviving the drama of the past few decades, he is legitimately the longest continuous cannabis retailer in possibly the world but watch out for argentina jason uh what you got oh yeah definitely i am the world and the only one that could compete would be amsterdam but a lot of those people are closing down now so we'll see what happens i hope they remain open uh anyways today my headline and you know how much i love colorado and everything colorado offers they started at the beginning of legalization having some terminology uh, for, for, the, for the community and the new people coming to the community so then that way everyone could have a basic understanding of ter- current lingo. And so today my story is 10 newish cannabis terms every Colorado stoner should know. And so this, there's going to be some commentary going on this. And this is put out by the Cannabis, which is a subsidiary of the Denver Post, and they did this back in 2014, and they did it again just now. Number one, adult use, replacing the word recreational. That I'm totally for. I'm super glad Colorado's now finally starting to get it because it needs to be marketed strictly as adult use. A cart. Easy. That's a cartridge, right? Everyone knows that. Uh, Cannabigrol, CBG, a minor cannabinoid that's gaining popularity for use in therapeutic contexts, including to reduce inflammation, pain, and nausea. The non-psychoactive compound is most commonly found in cannabis strains that are low THC and high in CBD. Number four. Cannabidiol, CBN, a minor cannabinoid with widely psychoactive effects that often resemble sedation. The cannabinoid is gaining popularity as a sleep aid. It's also being linked to reducing inflammation, helping regulate the immune system, and acting 
as an anti-convulsant. Well, that's fucking great. Number five, full spectrum refers to cannabis products that maintain a variety of cannabinoids such as THC, CBD, CBG, CBN, and more uh, versus products created with a single isolated cannabinoid. Full spectrum products are touted as superior because cannabinoids are more effective when working all together, a concept known as the entourage effect. Number six, hospitality. This is stupid. Why they're trying to use this word as hospitality is just fucking stupid. What they're really trying to say is consumption lounge. Just call it a goddamn consumption lounge. It's it, Hospitality is, is what you receive when you come to a consumption lounge. It's fucking not a hospitality space. All right. Number seven, live rosin, a marijuana concentrate extracted from the plant without the use of a solvent such as butane or propane. After harvest, the plant is frozen instead of dried and cured and then put through a press that applies heat and pressure to extract oil. Proponents of this method say the process maintains the plant's terpene and flavor profile when the u- with, without the use of, of chemicals. Conversely, live resin is a cannabis concentrate extracted from frozen plants with the use of a solvent. Number eight, I'm not sure if I believe all that. I think they messed up a little bit in some of their wording, but or just it's Colorado, so you know they're fucked up on a lot of things. Number eight, microdose, a noun or verb that refers to consuming less than the standard serving size of THC, which is 10 milligrams. Some edibles are sold in microdoses, such as five or two and a half milligrams, and some consumers uh, uh, microdose cannabis throughout the day by eating just a teeny tiny bit at a time. Also used commonly in the context with psychoplacebin as well, which is better known as magic mushrooms. N- number nine. Are you guys ready for this? Oh man. Rapid onset, a term for edibles for which the effect will be felt by the consumer more quickly, sometimes as soon as five to 15 minutes after ingesting them. And the number 10 word in this list of the day is solvent free this is another dumbass one a marijuana extraction method that does not use chemicals such as butane or propane proponents of this method touted as a more natural approach to extracting oil from the cannabis plant live rosin is an example of a solvent free concentrate because it's created using a press that applies heat and pressure to extract oil from the cannabis plant and edibles also can be manufactured using solvent free oil well, I'll tell you what, solvent-free is probably one of the stupidest terms ever, okay, because water actually is a solvent, and this is total fucking bro science using the word solvent-free is just stupid and bad vernaculars, and they need to come up with something better. And this is Jason Becker reporting for the <laughs> Cannabis News Hour. <laughs> Jason, you are so funny. That was so great. Thank you so much. But you didn't remember to point out that we don't say entourage effect. We say ensemble effect because... Yeah. I, I, I like Entourage. That was I really like that show. So I like the word Entourage. Ensemble. What do you say, too, Brandon? I, ensemble. I think of I think of a, I think of a of a symphony when I think of an ensemble. Yes, yes. Beautiful music together. Everybody, a team. All of the things instead of Entourage, when there's one star and a bunch of fans. Well, THC is the star, right? Well, cannabis has so many fanboys. I mean, I just that just makes more sense. What do you think, Brandon, since you've been well, on the show? about the entourage effect? Uh, well, should we call it that, or should we call it the ensemble effect? Ensemble effect. Yeah, see, and he was on the show, so there. Nah, I'm not buying that shit. Good luck. It's called synergy. Get, get, it's called getting get high. Colorado to start using the word ensemble effect, and then only people from Colorado will say it. 
Oh my God. Let's keep smoking the news. She's a pot-loving PhD and a champion of common sense cannabis policy, a true life alternative activist that somehow remains optimistic in the middle of all of this cannabis chaos. Come to the stage, Manika Mahajan, what you got for us today? Good morning. Thank you so much, Rico. Good morning, everyone. My story today comes from Noah Daly of Marijuana Moment, and the headline reads, Majority of Europeans Support Marijuana Legalization, New International Poll Finds. A recent poll shows strong support for legalization in several European countries. With a population of over 530 million, Europe is nearly 50% bigger than the combined populations of the U.S. and Canada. The poll from the London-based Hanway Associates, and sponsored in part by Leaf International, studied support for legalizing and regulating cannabis for adults over 18 years old in eight European countries. 9,043 adults were surveyed. On the question of support for legalizing adult-use cannabis, the average across the eight countries were 55% support, 18% unsure, and 25% opposed. Here are the eight countries in order of strongest to weakest support. Italy, Portugal, Switzerland, Spain, UK, France, Germany, and Netherlands. Italians were the most supportive of a regulated cannabis market at 60%, and Dutch were the least supportive. Only 47% of Dutch respondents in this poll supported legalizing cannabis, although cannabis coffee shops in that country bring in about 1 billion euros in annual sales and 400 million euros in tax revenue. Respondents were also asked about regulatory models for sales, like storefront retail or social clubs with on-site consumption. And among those who support legalization, the retail option was most popular at 81%, followed by a home-grow option at 62%, and social clubs at 56%. Among all respondents, including those who support and oppose legalization, 48% supported retail stores, 35% supported a non-commercial home-grow model, and 32% favored cannabis social clubs. Susan, uh, this part will probably pique your interest. Homegrow had the strongest opposition among all respondents with an average of 41% against. The report suggests that opposition to homegrows might reflect a NIMBY, or not-in-my-backyard sentiment, quote, where the public is concerned with the nuisance or distaste from being exposed to others' cannabis use, particularly in the UK and France. That's where the snobs are, I guess. In addition to finding that retail stores were the most popular, Boris Jordan, executive chairman founder at Cureleaf, Cureleaf, excuse me, makes an, an interesting prediction. Quote, we see the European market as three to four years behind, but it actually looks like Europe might, might, may initiate sweeping reform before the United States. Germany saying they will re- recreationally legalize will be an inflection point for the market since it represents the largest economy in Europe. And we feel once Germany goes, the rest of the continent will follow suit. It's always fun to review data showing just how popular cannabis is among people across the world. From the perspective of methods and research practices, however, the sample size stood out to me. Under 10,000 respondents in a diverse region of 530 million people. And according to a brief note on methods... uh, A nationally representative sample of 9,000-plus adults... Uh, across the eight European markets between February 24th and March 14th. And they said that the data was weighted to be representative of gender, age, and region. But I'm a bit skeptical about the representativeness, and I would be careful about generalizing these percentages, especially the ones on storefront versus social club and and homegrow. 
So just take them with a grain of salt. But regardless, the findings of strong public support for legalization are plausible and they're reinforced in various other studies, voting data, et cetera. So I think it's pretty exciting um, to watch Europe go forward with legalization. And my hope is that they experiment with some new ways of bringing the plant out of the shadows there and maybe give us in the U.S. some successful models to copy. I'm Menica, reporting for the State of Cannabis News But what about Amsterdam? Man, that was crazy. I mean, just seeing that the, the Netherlands had the least support in this sample, uh, that was that definitely stood out. I mean, is anybody surprised that a poll from London-based Hanway Associates, sponsored in part by cannabis company Cure Leaf International, is going to come out against Home Grow after everything we already know about Cure Leaf? Yeah, Dr. Mary, follow the money. Follow the money. Dr. Mary was listening closely. Thank you so much for pointing that out. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I actually pulled it up because it's a great little poll. You wonder what's going on in the in the Netherlands. I mean, we heard about Amsterdam yesterday, too. Is this a grab from other countries trying to spread out the, the wealth of the, of the drug industry across Europe? What's going on? There's a whole section in the report that um, I think it's worth kind of flipping through, uh, and, you know, I think basically what they uh, suspect is that just the way that the tourist model has integrated with the with the residents and all of that may be the cause behind it. So there's there's a few possible explanations detailed in the report that you could check out. We've got Nick up from the audience. Nick, we're at time, but uh, you've got 20 seconds. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that Amsterdam is not going anywhere. Every six years when there's a parliament change or mayoral change in the city, they try to do this. It's happened ever since the early 90s, and we still have weed in Amsterdam. It's not going anywhere. Good to know. Thank Thank you very much, Nick, for that uh, European uh, announcement. Very, very helpful for all the tourists out there. Uh, Coming up next. We have Gretchen Gailey, this feisty redheaded conservative, proudly claims her Mayflower roots and never backs down when challenged by pot-loving libs across the aisle. The founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider is coming up to the stage next. What do you have for us this morning, Gretchen? Good afternoon, Jason. My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Um, Not exactly safe banking, but I'm a safe banking light. Uh, Pennsylvania Senate approves marijuana banking bills, sending it to the House. The Pennsylvania Senate on Wednesday approved a bill to safeguard banks and insurers against being penalized by state regulators for working with state legal medical marijuana businesses. The bipartisan legislation from Senators John DeSanto and Sharif Street moved through two committees in recent days before being taken up on the floor and passing in a 46-3 vote. It now heads to the House. This effort is yet another example of how states are working to provide financial protections to institutions that are willing to service the cannabis market as Congress continues to stall on a federal fix. Uh, DeSanto said, federal prohibition has forced the cannabis industry to deal with cash as proceeds may be considered a federal crime, making dispensaries a target for armed robbery. Improved access to financial services will reduce this public safety risk. Uh, Banking this cash in Pennsylvania will grow our economy and lower costs for medical patients. The Pennsylvania bill would not immunize banks and insurers from potential federal repercussions, but it's an interim step meant to signal to the financial sector that they at least won't face penalties under state law. Uh, DeSanto and Street previously circulated a co-sponsorship memo to colleagues ahead of the banking bill's introduction. 
that address the public safety problems posed to marijuana businesses without access to traditional financial services, forcing many to operate with large volumes of cash that make them targets of crime. Street said on the floor uh, yesterday that the legislation will take the first step towards reform by allowing and making it more feasible for people in the cannabis business to move away from being a cash business and to use our banking system. Uh, the move to provide state-level protections could add pressure on congressional lawmakers to enact a federal change. I don't know where they're coming up with that idea. Uh, but they say that this is a, a good possibility in Pennsylvania. Um, and given where the House stands, I do see them passing it because usually things fall apart in the Senate. Um, my one concern about this uh, piece of legislation is that it says, Salem, shut up! The legislation says that the state government agencies cannot prohibit, penalize, or otherwise discourage a financial institution or insurer from providing financial or insurance services to a legitimate cannabis business-related or its business associates, but it says that this bill would not require banks or insurers to provide services to medical marijuana businesses. So it almost, I don't get it. It sounds as if it's taking care of ancillary businesses and not requiring it to take care of the ones who are actually selling flour. I don't see how that's very helpful, uh, but we'll see what comes of this. This Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. Gretchen, it doesn't sound like it really actually does anything, then, if that's the case, because incinerary companies already have the ability to bank. Pass safe banking. I, yeah, and, and frankly, I agree with you, Jason, on the pass safe banking, because, you know, coming up with these little band-aids on the state level, the feds can still do whatever they want. Uh, we need something on the federal level to happen. Exactly, and that's why we all say... Pass safe banking. No, we don't. We, we don't, don't all say that. I'll say that. No, we yeah. don't. Everyone with me says that, and we all chant it loud and proud. No, you don't. <laughs> You're loud, anyway. I do find it interesting, even if, if it's a piece of junk, um, that this is what the state is choosing to focus on um, when they could be doing other things in the industry. Um, this is what they're seeing a need for. Haters are going to hate because that's what haters do. Gretchen, I think your dog wants to weigh in. She That's dog speak for past safe banking, Minica. <laughs> See, even pets agree. Past safe banking. What? Jason, you're going to break your mic. <laughs> Jesus. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. All right. So it might be news to y'all, but it's well known by the team here at SOC that the founder of Medican and co-founder of the S, the CESC, a nonprofit cannabis research organization, and it is an industry OG well-documented for compassionately representing the people. Come to the stage next, Dr. Jean Talleyrand. What you got for us today, my man? Thanks, Rico. So my story is from Gondrepreneur by T.G. Branfelt. The headline is Medical Cannabis Strained by Adult Use Sales in New Mexico. New Mexico medical cannabis patients are expressing frustration. Increased demand from adult use sales is straining the cannabis supply. On April 1st, licensed cannabis dispensaries in New Mexico started adult use sales one year after legislation passed an adult use legalization bill. The rollout was expected to be gradual since many producers and retailers were building out their operations on just or just getting municipal approval. The expectation didn't account for consumption. The state cannabis control division says New Mexico has sold over $8 million in adult use cannabis in just two weeks. KOB4 Eyewitness News reports that despite the large sales, medical cannabis demand remains high. 
Stephanie Kay, a longtime medical cannabis patient, says, They're telling us we should keep our cards, referring to medical cannabis identity cards, even though it's recreational. For what reason? What perks are we getting? We don't get to get in line in front of anybody. We don't get to pay less. We don't get better weed. No, we get nothing. Some New Mexico cannabis retailers have tried to look out for patients. Ellie Bessencon, executive director of Green Goods, wants to create separate display cases for recreational products and medical products. But she feels patients still have a frustration level. They already know what they want and the lines are long. His Daily reports that Texans may be playing in consuming new, new Mexico ca cannabis. Our studies show that 40% to 42% of adult use cannabis will be derived from out-of-state purchases, particularly Texas, says Duke Rodriguez, CEO of the state's largest cannabis company. California went through its own growing pains after enacting adult-use cannabis laws. In California, consumer prices remain high despite a supply gut. A significantly large percentage of cannabis sales are believed to remain in traditional markets. On the East Coast, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut will soon be selling adult-use cannabis. Can they learn from the issues that are occurring on, in Western states? Or will medical cannabis patients suffer similar access issues? Medical patients typically have a different need and urgency for cannabis. I don't do it to party. I don't do it to go out and dance. I don't get high. I don't laugh. I do it because it makes my pain go away, says Stephanie. Now that adult use has arrived, the shops are only concerned about money. Once again, it seems to me that legislators have forgotten about compassion for patients for the money. What do you think? This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's the solution? Uh, well, reduce taxes on medical products uh, or eliminate taxes on medical products. Uh, uh, for one, I mean, just that alone will help patients. They really rely on it rather than, uh, you know, just going out to have fun. Cancel taxes. I'm all for that. I'm sure Jason would say uh, pass safe banking is a, is a good way <laughs> to rectify the, <laughs> this issue. 100% it is, but I'm also, I mean, I'm with Nicholas. Like, get rid of taxes. I'm, I'm totally all about that. At least for the medical patients, you don't tax pharmaceutical products. Get rid of all taxes. Yeah, you're here. Taxes are all about oppression, and we should be able, if we're paying taxes, we should be able to know exactly where that tax money is going, and we should be able to direct those dollars as well, because the government works for us. Or so you, you actually, you actually do know where it goes. It's called the federal budget, and it dictates how much money goes to everywhere, so you know how much is being spent. You know where everything goes? What about that $400 billion dark money budget that goes out to who knows where? It goes to Hunter Biden. You know that. All the secrets are in his laptop. <laughs> I got nothing Don't forget it's 10% for the big guy. For Donald Trump? No, no, no. The, the big guy that Hunter Biden's referring to is Joe Biden. But enough of that. I hope you guys enjoy the hysteria that we create over here at the State of Cannabis News Hour. Coming up next, Nicholas Wildstar. He's a blunt, blowing, Fresno-based man of the people, representing the black conservative voice whose existence Joe Biden would love to strip his hood pass for even acknowledging that you know of this man. Here to change the narrative, it's the governor himself, Nicholas Wildstar, and he's also running for mayor of Fresno, so please support him. What do you have for us this morning?
I'm running for city council now. Sorry, so. <laughs> but thank you, brother. Appreciate it. What's up, what's up, State of Cannabis Click? When it comes to the war on drugs, the fight is global for we the people. My story for you today from Rotors is uh, about a police takedown from of Europe's biggest cannabis farm out of Madrid. Spanish authorities have destroyed four, uh, 415,000 hemp plants worth up to 100 million euros, which is about $108 million, in an operation to dismantle what police said on Wednesday was Europe's biggest cannabis plantation. Around 50 tons of the plants were being dried in a warehouse for processing into cannabidiol, I hope I'm saying that right, (laughs) CBD, the non-psychoactive compound found in cannabis that is increasingly used to treat anxiety, insomnia, and other ailments. Located in a rural northern region of Navarre, the plantation was spread across 11 fields with a combined area of 67 hectares, 166 acres, uh, the Guardia Civil Force said in a statement. While CBD sale and consumption is legal across Spain and most of Europe, Spanish law still prohibits the cultivation of cannabis plants for anything other than industrial uses, such as for textiles and seeds, according to the Agricultural Ministry. Growing hemp for conversion into CBD or other derivatives remains a criminal offense. Three people were arrested as a result of the operation, which began in mid-2021 when police discovered one of the fields. The Guardia Civil said the plantation plantation owner initially presented the farm as a legal operation to produce industrial cannabis, but was later found to be planning to extort large quantities to Italy and Switzerland for processing into CBD. Reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour, this is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. the governor. Speak now or forever hold your peace. That's crazy. Everybody, it seems like people that grow cannabis just oftentimes just have to be the biggest, so big. What the heck? Well, I mean, isn't that why they say overgrow your government? Well, I agree with that. I think we should sprinkle seeds in the landscaping at all of the police stations and city halls. What about the White House? Especially the White House. Yes. Should we keep smoking the news? Make it the Black House. How about that, Susan? All right, too short. Are we uh, we going to relight, Susan? Uh, yes, thank you. Uh-huh, here we go. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speakers, State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's... Up next, she's a badass cannabis mom and the co-founder of International Cannabis Bar Association, current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, the founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project, and she's got the silkiest, smoothest voice this side of the Mississippi, period. Up next, Laura DeCaro, what you got for us? Just this side of the Mississippi. 
Come on now. If, 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 you, if you go, you know, if you go west in Mississippi all the way around the world, it means you, it's the silkiest in the world, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. I love that. Hey. I love that. So I have this amazing um, PSA, actually, I'd like to, to shout out today. Uh, it's uh, 40 Tons, uh, Can I Get a Second Chance Cannabis Career Conference, presents job and career opportunities to Oakland this April. It's actually this Saturday, folks, so get your resumes ready. Get a haircut, shine those shoes, and step on out because 40 Tons brand um, and brand resumes are hosting the Can I Get a Second Chance Cannabis Career Conference in Oakland. This will be their third actual career fair event so far, but it's actually their first full-on conference. But it's still open and entirely free for all job seekers. Um, Their goal is actually to bring more diversity and inclusion of BIPOC communities to the cannabis industry and to provide opportunities to those with past cannabis convictions. Um, The career conference is at the Oak Stop, which is at 2323 Broadway in Oakland from 10 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. So it's a tight window. Get over there on Saturday and let anybody you know who may be looking for a job, they might want to step out. I just, I love this because the BIPOC unemployment rates are 2x those of whites in the United States. And and because I just love the 40 Tons group and what they're doing to highlight the injustices surrounding the drug laws and their application in the BIPOC community. Um, Some of the companies that'll be on site hiring include Herbal, the Shrine Group, Stizzy, PAX, 710 Labs, Purple Heart, Supernova Women, and the Oakland Equity Collective. There will also be other resources, including headshots and professional online profiles, resume help, um, educational breakout sessions, haircuts, Cannabis scholarships from Oaksterdam, uh, interview coaching, and attorneys on site to help with an expungement process. So this is just really fantastic stuff. They say bring a copy of your resume, practice a 30-second description of who you are so you have a solid response when an employer asks about you, come dressed to impress, get there early to secure parking, have a positive attitude. I just, I love this. And um, I know, Rico, you're helping to do some of their marketing on a volunteer basis. You're just amazing. Thank you so much. This is just a, um, such a great project. Um, And I just wanted the world to know about it. So get out there in Oakland, spread the word. This is Laura DeCaro reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Yeah, Laura, um, uh, real quickly, um, I know Anthony's in the room. We could bring him up. up He's up. He's Um, up. Uh, perfect. Yeah, I, was, I was I was able to help. What's up, Anthony? I was able to help out um, get the free headshots out to uh, um, all the folks at the career fair that you guys did, uh, the hiring fair that you guys did down here twice already. Um, Nicole West, formerly on our team, uh, helped out as well as Jason Beck spoke on a panel uh, about like uh, ex felons uh, in the industry or those uh, with the case and, and talking about opportunities that are there too. Um, I'd love to get your take and see what you guys need for this because it's what you're doing is so important for the industry, so important to get the word out and get connected with everybody because everybody can benefit from uh, helping out with uh, what you guys are doing. So, Anthony. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Rico. I really appreciate it. Thank you to the state uh, of cannabis. You guys are amazing. I remember when you started and now you guys are full blown uh, news hour and it's it's beautiful to see. And Clubhouse was just instrumental in the rise of 40 tons. Um, you know, we, 
we came together as a team and, and helped get our, our great friend Corvin Cooper out from a life sentence. So just think almost, you know, a year and maybe three months ago, um, there was no real 40 tons other than just in spirit. And over the last year and, you know, and change, we've been able to build this organization and, 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 and company to, you know, being a full on out career conference as well as a flower brand. And so thank you guys. So April 16th, we're, you know, we're doing this again. It's our first time that we're stepping out of our, our local uh, area out of Los Angeles and we're bringing it to Oakland. We believe that Oakland is, uh, you know, is a, is a, is a pillar in the cannabis community and, and, and one of the cities that helped put cannabis on the map. So when we decided where we were going to go for the first time, we decided that it had to be Oakland um, and the Bay area. So, like, you know, Lara said, and, and, and Rico was talking about, you know, we're, you know, this is a place for, you know, people to come and get hired. It's a place for people to start their careers. It's a place for people to get expungements, tons of resources, tons of access, tons of networking. Um, and so one of the things that we do need that we're, we're short on, um, cause as you know, for those that do events, you, you know, you, you have a bunch of volunteers and then a day before the event or two days before the event, people <laughs> cancel on you. So, um, what we do need is we need one more like overall volunteer that just kind of can be like, kind of like a deck hand that could help everywhere, help set up, help with registration, we, um, you know, and help with just, you know, overall event flow. So there's, we need one volunteer for that. Um, and then we usually have about four resume and LinkedIn coaches that help with the people um, fixing their resume and updating their LinkedIn profiles. And we need one more of those because we only have three. And so we're already at 553 registrations on Eventbrite, which is incredible. Um, our, our Los Angeles one had 482 at the end of it and we're not even at the event yet and we're at 553 so um it's amazing man everyone on on this on this panel has 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 been instrumental in, in helping us jason rico you know what i mean like you said nicole west and uh, and a few others that are a part of your guys's team um fruit slabs big shout out to brandon dorsky who's also on you guys guys's uh panel he he's supported the last one and so thank you guys for just letting me come up and speak and just supporting our brand and anything that we can do to help what you guys got going on to amplify whatever messages you guys have please reach out to me send me a message and we'll figure out how we can uh, collaborate and work together well congratulations anthony it sounds like an amazing event do you have you heard from any media are you going to have a lot of media show up i have not actually um it's been so crazy trying to work on this stuff and you know we're so super grassroots it's literally just corvain l'oreal and myself um working i haven't really had time to really shoot out shot out to the media so if anyone can help with that that would be awesome i, I can help you yeah send me send me some copy and i'll send it out to my media list i've got a really great media list oh that's awesome absolutely respect my region did an article on us um that dropped yesterday but that's the only piece of press we've gotten so thank you yeah i think the local news is going to want to show up with the truck right obviously a hundred percent a hundred percent that would be awesome if we have any media listening to the show, I do want to see, say, as someone that participated in the one uh, down here in Southern California, it was a great event. Uh, we met nearly 100 potential candidates or hirees, uh, some really warm people, got to learn uh, about great candidates' experiences. And it was just a really 
warm and warm and supportive environment. It was great to see Anthony and the 40 tons team there. Uh, and it was great to be able to connect with the community. Uh, I mean, we were overwhelmed by the amount of people that were there and that we got to engage with at the booth. And we met some really great people. Thank you, Brandon. It was a pleasure having you guys there. Shout out Beyond Sycamore too. You guys had a big, uh, big banner there that was that was killing it at the at the career fair. Without, oh, go ahead, Rico. I was gonna say, yeah, that shit's dope. Yeah, no, without a doubt, this is a fantastic event. Um, if you do need a job and you're looking to get your breakaway into the cannabis industry, this is a fantastic place to go. Also, too, if you um, even if you just need help in 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 helping with your resume helping understand what employers are looking for in a, in a uh, normal job setting. This is an amazing uh, place to go to be able to gain some great resources and help build your own self up. So I encourage everyone to attend that needs that. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you so much. Yeah, man, we've, we've got all these great companies that are just come together. We have a bunch of equity companies. We have a bunch of big, big companies. And so it's just going to be a hosh posh of just all types of organizations and businesses within this industry. So there's room for you. Uh, this is your guys' seat at this table. This is an inclusive table. This is a diverse table. And this is what the cannabis industry is, uh, is what we all are trying to make it. So please come uh, register on Eventbrite, and uh, we hope to see you there. Anthony, also, when you're, when you're done with your event, uh, give me a holler. We're going to have a really great event in Los Angeles, June 5th and 6th, where, where we're going to be uh, educating the heads of state from all over the Americas, our, our hemisphere, and uh, they, they need to hear from you. So let's talk. Oh, awesome. And thank sure. you for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Thank you. And Rico, much love, much respect, brother. Always, man. You, you always show up for me, man. And, and um, I want to give you your flowers, bro, because you're, 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 you're a good human being and, and you, you've always supported whenever I've asked for anything. And it means a lot to me, bro. All love, G. All love. All right. Let's keep smoking it. All right. Coming up next, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis entertainment and that's right, psychedelics. She's also the co-owner of one of the most interesting IG pages on the team. And the other person that also owns that IG page is none other than one and only Mark Zuckerberg. Coming to the stage next is the founder of Cannabis Blog, Shall We Toke. What do you have for us this morning, Shalina? <laughs> Thank you so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Cannabis Company Uses Biodegradable Weeds beeswax pre-roll filter tips to save the bees. As stated in Digital Market News, a recent study shows that each year the cannabis industry alone produces 3.1 billion pounds of waste through flyers, promotional materials, and worst of all, mainly through packaging. Plastic and containers which are not biodegradable is the common way to sell cannabis. However, in turn, these items just end up in landfills that could last for centuries. To note, this is just one level of waste. Another level is by resources such as oil and gas that is needed to produce the packaging. However, according to Fox Detroit, Fox 2 Detroit News, some cannabis companies such as a dispensary in Michigan called the Golden Shores Cannabis Company are actively finding ways to tackle these waste issues head on. Perfect example is their biodegradable wax, beeswax tips that have for their pre-rolls, which also include a wildflower seeds inside. Benzinga states that every single pre-roll 
pre-rolled tip has roughly five wild poppy seeds. Once the tip is thrown into the soil, the seeds will soon pop and bring flowers provided the soil is watered. Why is this small act so important to the environment? Well, it's more so for the bees. Brightly.eco reported that the bee species is threatened by harmful pesticides where these chemicals sometimes paralyze or outright kill the bee population. Further, climate change, which affects the Earth's atmosphere in general, is harming bees where they can't reproduce and in turn are unable to pollinate. It's great that cannabis companies like Golden Shores are taking a small act in their business by being eco-conscious towards the environment by, by planting more flowers so that bees are able to pollinate and thrive. More cannabis companies need to take a more active approach with their products, whether that be by providing biodegradable beeswax tips or using way less packaging for products in order to help the environment. Let's not forget, without bees, there's no honey. My name is Shlena, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. In the, if you watch, if you click on the link in the video in this article, the guy at the end he takes a joint, a lit joint. It's like two-thirds smoked, or no, one-third smoked, and he takes a puff, and then he just throws it into the grass. So I love this product, but please don't be a butthead and throw your, what do we call them now? Jason, you're the wordsmith today. Is it They're a roach? roaches. Yeah, we still say roaches. that? Yeah, okay. and I always throw my roaches in the street wherever I'm at. That's no. how I look at it. That's my donation to the homeless community. No. No, no. Because when they when they no, pick up don't. my roaches, they're gonna be litty titty. Don't no, don't do that. If if you want to give it to the homeless people, just hand it to them or put it when, up when on I a. I have to get rid of it, my evidence. I have to get rid of my evidence, and that's well, the best way if, to get rid of it. If it's evidence, if you need to ditch some evidence, that's fine. But you don't need to do that anymore. I ditched so the evidence in the ditch, Susan. Oh, no, don't do that. Thank you. Yeah, watch that video. Like I feel like we need that song that, that you know, go plant a tree. <laughs> <laughs> plant trees in the ditch. <laughs> Ditches need trees. Ditches oh, need my trees. God. I just got a new sound bite. Yay. Let's keep smoking the news. Our next correspondent is coming straight out of Long Beach, California. He's the CEO of Fruit Slabs and Cannabis Intellectual Property Attorney. And also, if you look... Oh, Real, real, real hard on some late episodes of Entourage where you get affected by everything that goes down there. You might just see his beard and the vibes coming out from it. Up next, Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us, my man? Thanks for having me today. Today, my headline is Designer Watts Copyright Claims Against CBD Co. Revived, coming from Law 360. This is about Martha Martin, a designer who's asking a Colorado federal judge to revive a copyright infringement claim against Pure Spectrum CBD LLC. This is, the dispute stems from the use of Martin's designs on Pure Spectrum products since 2016 and the scope of the rights exchanged and whether a 3% grant of equity was a revocable gift or the sale of a security. The suit began in 2020, and on Tuesday, the designer filed a motion for reconsideration of a partial summary judgment and requested summary judgment in her favor on her ownership interest in Pure Spectrum. Martin first filed against Pure Spectrum and their CEO, Brady Bell, and others in April of 2020, raising claims of copyright infringement, securities fraud, breach of fiduciary duties, breach of contract, unjust enrichment, fraud, and conspiracy to commit fraud. The allegations were that the company stole her designs after misleading Martin about the equity stake and compensation she would receive for her services. In January, the court granted partial summary judgment in favor of Pure Spectrum on the copyright infringement and conspiracy to commit fraud claims, but allowed Martin's claims to proceed concerning her equity interests. 
The designer argues that the 3% equity interest was fully vested Class A ownership as of October 2018, but Pure Spectrum's claims it was an undelivered revocable gift. Martin claims the judge made errors in their ruling and claims summary judgment motion should be reversed because there were verbal agreements between herself, Pure Spectrum, and the CEO regarding her designs that invalidate the determination that there was an implied license conferred. Quote, there was an express verbal agreement and understanding concerning certain specific limitations on the rights the defendants were given by plaintiff. That agreement was further consistently and continuously reinforced by the conduct of both parties throughout every stage of their evolving contractual relationship. End quote. Martin further claims no implied license for her designs was created and that there was an understanding that she would always hold the sole and exclusive rights over their use and control. Martin also argued that even if an implied license was created, it would have been terminable at her will, which she did in April 2019, and argues the defendant's use thereafter was clear copyright infringement. The motion actually claims that she permitted the defendants to use other designs under an implied non-exclusive license and that she is only seeking recovery from the unauthorized use of the images after revoking permission in 2019. She's requesting summary judgment in her favor on the 3% ownership and that the defendants have deprived her of $900,000 of value of her ownership interest by, quote, failing and refusing to deliver the operating agreement to her that purportedly describe and explain how to exercise those rights. This bat really highlights the importance of having signed paperwork. Here we are dealing with copyright interests, which technically cannot be orally transferred. And so without paperwork, at best, Pure Spectrum has an implied license, and the scope of that license is what is under fire. Pure Spectrum should have written paperwork. On the flip side, Martin is claiming she has an ownership interest, but also has no paperwork to back that up. And she should have paperwork to back that up, too. Often, transfers of ownership interests, just like transfers of copyrights, need to be memorialized in writing, or they're invalid. Uh, this is a case that I am paying close attention to as an intellectual property attorney that constantly advises people in the industry to get their designs transferred in writing. If you are a cannabis business using third-party designers and you do not have those rights transferred to you in writing, you don't own them. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Yes, sir. Hear you loud and clear. Let's let's handle that. So, Brandon, if you're you're saying that if you're using a third party consultant to design or fabricate something that you're uh, intending for the intellectual property of your company, then it needs to be explicitly written in writing that their creation that they are our property of yours. It needs to be explicitly stated in writing that they are either doing it as a work for hire, such that it would be your copyright for this from the start because you ordered it, or if they created it and they own the copyright, that they are transferring that ownership interest in writing. If it is not transferred in assigned writing, the copyright author is still the owner of the copyright. Yeah, absolutely. Similar. Be careful, oh, though. Be careful, though, with the work for hire language in California, folks. I mean, this isn't legal advice, but it can create an employment relationship when you don't intend to. So, I mean, you know, talk to one of us before you enter into one of those contracts. Brandon, isn't this the same type of language that universities use in their science programs when their students develop different technologies and then they own a portion of it because it was developed with all of their uh, uh, utensils or whatnot? Uh I would say there are some similarities, but it's not identical language because university students aren't employees. Uh, but the notion that you're using um, essentially the equipment, the facilities, et cetera, things provided to you um, when, when you're using the tools of a third party to record or create 
um, there can be ownership interests of that party. But very specifically and clearly, I'm saying it needs to be in writing. If the the creator needs to transfer their interests in writing. We, we hear you loud, loud and clear, Brandon. Thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, keep moving because we just have a minute and a half left. Uh, I was going to cover this story earlier, but we didn't have time like today. Unfortunately, it's still a story and it comes from the Tucson Weekly and the headline is Cannabis Conundrum. Lindsay Rigel worked for the Arizona Department of Child Services. She had irritable bowel syndrome and got a medical cannabis certificate in 2010 and has maintained it ever since. Quote, I was one of the original cardholders, she said. I've had it since we didn't have dispensaries or anywhere you could legally purchase your medication. It's the only thing that really helps me, unquote. She became pregnant and went to renew her card and told her qualifying physician that she was pregnant, said Scottsdale attorney Julie Gunnigal, who defended Rigel in the appeal. The pregnancy was rough on Rigel, who suffered from a condition known as hypermesis gravidarium, or HG, which is marked by severe nausea and vomiting throughout pregnancy. According to her attorney, HG is a very severe form of nausea where you basically throw up for nine months. It was literally only cannabis that saved her kid's life because one in three pregnancies end up with a miscarriage when you have HG, unquote. When her son was born, he had a hard time breathing, so they transferred him to the Phoenix Children's Hospital for evaluation, and they found cannabis in his system along with Buzzpar and Benadryl, which were prescribed to her. At the end of May 2019, DCS informed the new mother that she was being placed on DCS child abuse registry. That triggered a life of hell going through the injustice system. In February 2020, an administrative law judge found that most of DCS's evidence was, quote, double hearsay, and, quote, was not the kind of evidence on which a reasonable person would rely, unquote. DCS re refused to comply, and a judicial review of the case upheld the decision. So she appealed the decision. Judge Randall M. Howe, who, who oversued oversaw the appeal, agreed and in his findings ordered DCS to remove Rigel from the registry. In his decision, he wrote, Mar quote, marijuana use authorized under AMMA must be considered the equivalent of the use of any other medication under the direction of a physician. Thus, by definition, using marijuana under AMMA is medical treatment administered to Rigel by a health professional. Taking marijuana as her qualifying doctor authorized is the same as taking any other medication under the direction of a physician. Contrary to the DCS's findings, Otherwise, whether any of Rigel's other doctors knew she was taking medical marijuana for her chronic nausea and any dispute about that fact is irrelevant, unquote. The AG is threatening to take this case to the Supreme Court now. They have until April 30th, and I'm sure that Lindsay's holding her breath until that day is over. Her son is healthy and happy and about to celebrate his third birthday. As for her career with the DCS, she says, quote, I'm not sure I could ever go back to work for DCS just morally. Now that I've had a kid, everything's different and their policies and procedures are not something I feel like I could work with, unquote. 
Uh, I really hope this goes her way. Um, but we're at time. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Zsa Simone Brown. And thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye to you. Bye, Rico. (laughs)